What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listener, to Premium Chapter 146 of the QAnon Anonymous Podcast, the QAA Movie Night Poltergeist 2 episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokotansky. Julian Field. Oh, I'm Oliver. He's Bakun on Twitter. That's correct. Gotta, gotta be patient. He's he's shy. I'm sorry, boys. I like I forgot we were uh, recording. No. Think for <laughs> a moment. Is- this is exactly what happened on our last episode because we did our the last one we did with you we were, it was 4:20 and we were all absolutely I had to edit out so much silence from that episode. Oh yeah, we were all very yeah. And this is going to be kind of similar. Yeah, yeah, yep. There can't be any silence because we're going to be talking about, you know, Academy Award winning film Poltergeist 2: The Other Side. That is true. That's right. We're going to be talking about that movie which Jake chose and, you know, bless him for choosing a sequel. Uh, to a movie that we've never watched in the movie night, so that's already a win. Plus, if you watch it without any knowledge of the first, you have no fucking idea what the hell is going on. <laughs> if you are born within the year 1989 to, ni- to I would say, 1997, yeah. you have like an, an innate internal knowledge of the first Poltergeist film. Right. That's, that's true. And you're also primed to be terrified of braces that they might yes. attack you Absol- from your mouth. God, absolutely. Yes. And I, I also, I mean, the, the, the movie, we, we, we'll, we'll get into it, obviously. Jake has a bunch of information about it. Uh, we have our guest, Oliver Leach, a.k.a. Bakun, who is, you know, known for liking every horror film, uh, despite some of them being very bad. There's some, there's some I don't like, I would say. Well, you recommended Battle Angel Alita to me, and that was one of the most painful looking, <laughs> watching experiences I've ever had in my life. Oh, I kind of liked like it. That, yeah. God yeah. damn I it, man. But you know what? I also liked um, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, oh, boy. Uh, which I saw in the theaters, yeah. uh, which was the first like all CGI mm-hmm. uh, movie. And uh, you know what? Oh, yeah. I'm going to watch that again, actually. Again. That movie's okay. terrible. Yeah, that was not a good time. <laughs> there we go. So yeah, we're very happy to have you on for this. I think it's perfect. And Poltergeist 2 is a beautiful mess. It's like a lazy Susan of different types of horror genres and... Uh, and it often transitions from scene to scene in like the least seamless way possible, just completely shockingly different uh, phases to the film. Uh, like the, sh- the the Spielbergian schmaltz from the first one has been left out on the yes. counter for a oh, couple yeah. of nights. It's gotten kind of there's kind of a hard shell around it. It's gotten kind of a funk to it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's trippy. It's like kind of bright. Yes. Like there, like a lot of the horror happens like under bright lights. There's mm-hmm. not too much. Like there's not a lot of you know uh, looking through dark rooms and waiting for something to jump out at you. It's it's not it's not that kind of horror, which is. I think one of my favorite things about the Poltergeist series at large is that the way they do their spirits is is kind of in the vein of like Ghostbusters where they it's a lot of like animation yes. uh like hand drawn animation to how they do the spirits uh I love that. When you talk about quote unquote daytime horror or uh sun drenched horror they call it you, you talk about that's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 
and the scene in Poltergeist 2 where the old preacher's, you know, revealed for the first time when he walks up to the house. I love to, like, if they made this movie nowadays, that the preacher, you wouldn't know if he's a ghost, like, for the first act or or not. But, like, in this movie, like, right away you see him, like, walking through people yes. at the mall. It's like, no, this is a ghost. It's chasing after the little girl. We're, we're in the first, like, 15 minutes of the movie. Like, no, this is the bad guy. Like, at the strip mall, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's at the mall. Again, yeah, very <laughs> sun-drenched, like, all... In fact, it never really builds up much suspense. This is maybe one of the yeah. least suspenseful horror movies I've ever seen. It's just like yeah. either it's action or it's basically like a like um I don't know like a family soap opera. Yeah, uh, very fun. Yeah, let's jump right into it, Jake. Yeah, sure. Okay, so a little background on the movie. So Poltergeist Two: The Other Side. It was released in 1986, uh, shortly after my birth. Uh, it was written by Michael Grace and Mark Victor, uh, who also wrote Cool World, which is oh. a movie that I love, um, with uh, Gabriel Byrne and Brad Pitt uh, before he had plastic surgery on his ears. Uh, it was directed by Brian Gibson, uh, who went on to direct What's Love Got to Do With It? Um, <laughs> I don't know. if I have not yeah. seen that film. Uh, he also directed uh, The Juror with uh, Richard Gere, which was like a kind of like a decent 90s uh, sort of like legal thriller. Mm. And the uh, film was produced by MGM Studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, it cost $19 million to make this movie, and it sold about $41 million in ticket sales at the box office. So it, not not too bad, but probably not what they were hoping for. I think it came out to kind of middling reviews. One thing that I found interesting is that the the movie was shot entirely in Los Angeles. The main location of the house was in Altadena, uh, which is just up near Pasadena in L.A., and there was a secondary location in Encino, which is up in the valley. The replicas for the indoor scenes were shot at MGM Studios in Culver City, Los Angeles, and one thing that I found interesting is that the soundtrack was composed by Academy Award winner Jerry Goldsmith, who did fucking Chinatown, Logan's Run, the original Alien, the first Star Trek, Gremlins, Secret of Nim, a secret banger, uh, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, and Rudy, just to name a couple. Yeah. A little QAA lore, he also did the music for The Sum of All Fears, oh, uh, the famous QAnon movie starring Ben Affleck. But the, the sound work in that movie is awful. I know, because I had to work with clips of it for our episode. <laughs> Damn. But I mean, Gremlins, Gremlins, hell of a soundtrack. Total Recall, hell of a soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Poltergeist 2? Yeah, sure. You know what? Yeah, it was okay. It was okay. It was okay. It's It wasn't memorable. No. It wasn't something that I walked away from being like, oh, the soundtrack in that was actually really good. No. But mostly because if someone showed you these images with no music, like, what the fuck are you going to come up with <laughs> to, to balance out all these scenes that are shifting oh, yeah. tone so dramatically, so quickly? Like Poltergeist One is so good that you know yeah. this movie can can do a lot of bullshit while still kind of holding itself together on the strength of that first one, mm-hmm. and it does and it does a lot of goofy bullshit. Yeah, and it really does depend. It's it's one of those sequels that you don't really see anymore that is so dependent on seeing the first movie. I mean, you. Well, I mean the Halloween the you know, the recent Halloween Kills that is just picks up oh, directly. Yeah. That's oh. true. Like middle of a line almost when, when Dork is like finding a corpse. You get it a bit, but it is a rarity. You get it more in the horror genre, 
I will say. It, yeah. it does feel a bit like they took the fun and games phase of like a normal movie and just stretched it over the whole movie a bit, like Gremlins 2, where you're just fucking going from like sketch to sketch. Yeah, it's just yeah. Uh, dad's invention, and then another dad's invention, <laughs> and then another dad's invention. Uh, what if the movie was The Shining? Yeah, okay, let's make the dad just drink for no reason right now, and um, and then he's going to become, <laughs> then he's going to puke up an entire alien entity. Like, just ideas like that. <laughs> like, let's have the kid's braces attack him and become like a metal monster. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> coach Coach does drink a bit. He goes a bit aggro on this one. He does. He does. He swallows the damn worm, which we all know is demonic. The H.R. Giger worm, which I'm sure I want to go mm-hmm. into. Yeah, I was so... I, I actually wrote that later later on in the in the doc, is that like, I was very surprised to see that H.R. Giger uh, designed the the creatures. But then when you look at the creature, you're like, oh, okay, oh, that yeah. makes perfect it's, sense. It, it completely looks at it. And like the... Uh, the, the the his drawing his drawings for it are fucking terrifying. But like the first Poltergeist, that was Lux. That was that was big. That was Spielberg. That was you know prestige. They could get they could get Giga. They could, you know people are lining up for it. Yeah, and this movie's very like wacky. Like the dad is very wacky in it constantly. Yes, which I liked actually. Like he, he yeah. had a couple wacky scenes in the first one when he's tooting on that reefer. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. The whole, but the whole movie, the second one, he's he's kind of a, a cartoon of the who he was in the first one. I bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all are. So the the setup for this movie, the, the the basic sort of premise of the film is that the Freely family from the first movie is uh, staying with Diane, who's played by Joe Beth Williams, uh, her mother's house after narrowly escaping the events of the first film, uh, which I hope everyone who's listening watched because it's great but also very necessary to understand what's going on in this film. It becomes clear early on that whatever evil they believe they had escaped from has followed them here and continues to wreak havoc on the Freelies. The film opens with a ceremony performed by Taylor, one of the film's main characters, and potentially the ghost of a powerful shaman. I mean, I, I, want, I, I didn't look too deeply into this, but there's a couple scenes where he kind of disappears and then reappears sort of magically and i wonder i wonder if there's discussion online whether or not taylor himself is some sort of spirit at that point you're you're thinking more deeply into the film than anyone who wrote it produced it or directed it definitely this is not uh (laughs) like the hermetic kubrickian you know yeah no there's there's a line when you when you when when kane comes to the house uh, which will which will clip later, where Kane says uh, he's like, I believe there's an Indian staying here with you, and he's like, Yeah, Taylor, and he's like, Ah, so that's what he calls himself now. And I took that as a clue that this Taylor is is something great is something greater. Well, I took it to mean he is uh, trying to intimate to uh, this Caucasian homeowner that this man in his house is a villain. He's a roustabout. He's going from state mm. to state, changing his name, right. grifting oh. off people. That's what I took. That it could as. be it as well. Yeah, like he comes up to the door like an old cracker, you know, saying like, you know, secret. Yeah, I mean, you could read it as this is an ancient encounter between ghosts, or you could read it as he's playing on. Yeah, you know. Well, what a fucking white settler from what the 1800s would play on, which is just absolutely like pure racism. So it opens on Taylor, who's who's performing this ceremony on what looks like one of the mesas in Sedona, where Travis and I went for the Q Pilled Alien Conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the ceremony, the fire turns blue, and 80s-style animated spirits are released from the flames and inhaled directly into Taylor's nostrils, like some sort of paranormal cocaine. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Taylor driving his old pickup truck to the site where the first movie 
movie takes place. Where the house from that film used to be standing, there's now a giant crater. If you guys remember, the first movie ends with the house sort of uh, devouring itself. Mm-hmm. Once he's there, Taylor meets up with Zelda Rubinstein's character, Tangina, and she informs him that they believe they've found the source of the haunting. After digging into the rock beneath what used to be the swimming pool, Taylor descends into darkness and finds a cavern just packed with decaying bodies and skeletons. Where's the family now, he asks. We cut to the Freely family who's enjoying a picturesque outdoor lunch with their grandmother. It's a stark contrast to where we left them in the first film. It's bright, filled with sunshine and flowers, and Carol Ann, played by the late Heather O'Rourke, has made herself a peanut butter and M&M sandwich, a treat that I myself, as a child, uh, cooked up whenever my parents were late in getting home from work. So in this, like, picnic advertisement scene, it's revealed that Carol Ann can sense colors with her mind. When her grandmother asks for various swaths of yarn, Carol Ann reaches into the basket and retrieves them without even looking. So our first clue from the writer that Carol Ann possesses certain gifts and that the grandmother can sense them. That's a very special gift that you and I have. It's nothing to be scared of. Will it help me be a ballerina? Yes, sure it will. Whatever you dream, you can be. This is your classic scene of... Uh, you know, revealing that the gift has, like, skipped a generation, right? That the grandmother can sense things, the daughter can sense things. Well, the mom can a bit, a bit. And right after this, uh, she and the grandmother actually have this argument about, you know, her wanting Carol Ann to just be normal and to have a normal existence as a kid, and the grandma's saying, but you can't ignore these gifts. And what, What's so funny is that, like, there. so, so you're, you know, what you're mentioning sets up this kind of idea of, like, yeah, matrilineal, you know, people who can s- sense things in other worlds and maybe the future and maybe the position of objects or colors with their hands and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, okay, and now for the next hour, we're going to watch like the dad who's not at all clairvoyant. He's just going to go to man camp with some completely random guy, <laughs> you know, and he keeps telling him, Hey, you're, you're a warrior. Now you're going to, you're in a fight. And then, but the, neither of those plot lines really ever evolve into anything. I yeah. mean, the closest conclusion you get is, yeah, the mom at the end being like, ah, yeah, I'm also in touch with this stuff. And I guess that kind of helps them defeat the demon, like, in some way. But it's um, it's all over the place. It really just serves as expository. It's the, the mom discovering her gift really only serves the story in the way that you get the final piece of lore of who Cain really is. But the dad, when like, okay, when like the preacher comes to the door, he plays immediately on the dad. Like, you can't take care of your family. You're scared. You're not a real man. Right. And then and then immediately when Taylor shows up, he tells him the same thing. Like, you got to be a man. You're going to be a warrior, all this stuff. So it's kind of about, about a man like uh, doing like, yeah, you know, semen retention and becoming more powerful. But then, yeah, it ties in like zero. That side of things does not tie in in any way to that. The, the whole crux of this, which is, yeah, these this matrilineal clairvoyant line in the family. Well, if it was right. just the ladies learning their powers, like the dudes <laughs> and the dads watching it, they I would feel kind of emasculated and left out. You know? Maybe they would start drinking and become violent. <laughs> once the uh, so once the kids are in bed, Stephen, played by Craig T. Nelson and Diane uh, Joe Beth Williams, discuss what they're going to do about the insurance from the last house. And and one thing I actually really like about these movies is I feel like in some ways the family reacts as real people would. Like when shit starts hitting the fan, they don't stay in the house; they like move. You know, they move right away. They're like, no, we're getting in the car, we're getting out of here, um, which is kind kind of atypical for like haunting movies usually there's a reason that they have to stay in the house yeah 
They go to the motel and they, they, they roll the TV out into the hallway. They say that if the house disappeared, then technically it's only missing. Missing? What do they think? This house is going to return or something? Now it's been a full year. The house is not coming back. I got a, a gut feeling, Diane. I'm positive about that. I know that, Stephen. You tell them that... No, no, I'm going to throw out the fourth plan. Oh, great. Well, what are we going to claim this time? Act of God? House napping? Stephen... We are almost broke. Okay, we're, we're broke, but we're not, we're not starving. Okay, but I don't happen to like having to live off my mother, and I think that we deserve a house of our own again someday. Oh, honey, gee, gosh. See, that's the difference between you and me, Diane. I am into downward mobility. I, I'm not settled for it. I'm into it. I, I like getting out there in the streets and meeting those people. I like selling vacuums. I like carrying the pipes and the apparatus and my little demo case. Let's get the kids up and we'll... We'll paint the car different colors, kind of day glow, like we used to do when we were kind of freaky, you know, the freaky freelings on the road again, you know, that the family whose house disappeared. Watch them find it, Diane. I'm not going to get upset about this, but I tell you something, I'm writing them back, and when I sign that letter, I'm signing Mr. President. You know, it's really funny. I was doing some research, and the reason that Craig T. Nelson has the T in his name is because there was another actor registered to SAG with Craig with Craig Nelson, <laughs> the actor Craig Richard Nelson. Oh no! And Poltergeist was his first was 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 Craig T. Nelson's first big thing, so he like had to distinguish himself. You know, he basically he couldn't register his name with SAG because there was somebody else there. And now the T is uh, the T is golden. The T is his you know his trademark. He's also like pretty red pilled. Uh, I found an interview. I'm not. I was gonna play it, but I don't think it's it's no it's worth no no it, no. It's... Please play this Glenn Beck interview from 2009. I want to see this. <laughs> you want to see it? Okay. Yes. There are programs that they're asking me to fund that I refuse to fund. You have been listening to a sample of a premium episode of QAnon Anonymous. We don't run any advertising on the show, and we'd like to keep it that way. For five bucks a month, you'll get access to this episode, a new one each week, and our entire library of premium episodes. So head on over to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe. Thank you. Thanks. I love you. Jake loves you.